The Future of Mental Health, Part 1, Away from the Biomedical Focus. Founded in 1247 and located in London, Bethlehem, also known as Bedlam, is the world's oldest psychiatric institution. Previously, it's what was referred to as a lunatic asylum. Now, Bedlam actually used to allow guided tours where the rich and the, the well-off could actually pay a bit of money and go in there and laugh at and mock the residents. Now, over the centuries following Bedlam, we've seen all sorts of unusual and often cruel mental health interventions, ranging from frontal lobotomies to insulin comas, electroconvulsive therapy, body part removal, and even exorcism. The frontal lobotomy is something that was developed by Portuguese neurologist Antonio Igas Moniz, and this involved the severing of the connection to the brain's frontal cortex, and it actually even earned him a Nobel Prize back in 1949. Luckily, we've left most, most of those ideas behind us now, that is, apart from electroconvulsive therapy, and we're moving towards a brighter future in the world of mental health and well-being. The WHO, also known as the, the World Health Organization, they've set out a comprehensive 2020 to 2030 mental health action plan, and this plan aims to fundamentally change the way we approach mental health. Their action plan, 2020 to 2030, the document describes a move away from the biomedical focus in mental health towards a person-centered and human rights-based approach. Now, when discussing the global examples of good practice that the WHO have seen and highlighted, they talk about how nearly all of those services that they showcased as being, you know, being examples of, of, of how to do it right, they, those examples tend to seek to help individuals and families articulate their experiences and requirements in their own words, rather than using the language of diagnosis. And this obviously further indicating a now common shift towards the demedicalizing of an individual's distress. The thing is, just you just need to take a quick glance on social media, just pop on for five minutes, look at any conversation about mental health, and you'll see how laced with medicalized language our conversations are. Depression, anxiety, OCD, psychosis. It almost seems as if we, we struggle to discuss emotional distress nowadays without, having to in, without incorporating labels. It's almost as if we feel that by using a label or stamping a label on our experience, it makes our distress more real and authentic somehow. One example of this change is PSSEO, which is a, a peer support group in Ontario, Canada. And they em- emphasize the importance of viewing the individual as a whole person in their life context. And they've moved away from the medicalized terminology and the excessive focus on diagnosis that we see commonly nowadays. More examples of demedicalizing is one. Afia House in Massachusetts, USA. This is, this is a crisis house that highlighted by the, the WHO for its quality. Now, they don't actually treat suicidal thoughts or a plan of suicide as a medical emergency, unlike many organizations. But instead, they tr- actually train their staff to support people in these scenarios by using various ex- examples. Now, in Norway, there's something called the, uh, the BET unit at Blackstad Hospital. And rather than focus on symptom reduction, they use a therapy that focuses on the acceptance of, of frightening and scary thoughts or dark feelings and inner, inner experiences to help people self-regulate and actually learn to cope with those experiences. Now, the WHO report explains how most mental health services have an entrenched over-reliance on the biomedical model in which the predominant focus of care is on diagnosis, medication and symptom reduction while the full range of social determinants that impact people's mental health were overlooked. Those social determinants being factors like housing, violence, discrimination, crime, job insecurity, isolation, exclusion, um, poor relationships, poverty, money issues, just, just to name a handful. 
Now, over in Bern in Switzerland, there's a, a crisis house called called Soteria. And this is another one that was highlighted by the WHO for their quality. And they centered their recovery approach around developing an individual's hopes and goals rather than just on symptom reduction. And likewise, Phoenix, Phoenix Clubhouse, that's a community mental health center in Hong Kong. They place a deliberate focus on people's strengths rather than symptoms. Again, a markedly different approach to what we commonly see nowadays. Now, the WHO suggests that it's critical that mental health systems widen their focus beyond the biomedical model. So they're not saying to get rid of it, obviously, because it still plays an important role. They're just saying we should look a bit more broadly than just the biomedical model of diagnosis and medication and symptom reduction. They're saying that it should also include a more holistic approach that that considers all aspects of a person's life. And I guess this makes sense as the current paradigm tends to view things in a more reductionist manner and just reducing it right down to symptoms. And, you know, they tend to look at things purely in terms of malfunctioning brains rather than malfunctioning lives, which might be a more more holistic way of looking at it. From drug-centred to person-centred. Now, essentially, the WHO seems to be suggesting that many of our mental health problems come from outside of us, what's known as psychosocial factors, rather than inside of us. Again, what we would call the biological and medical factors. The report goes on to mention how in all parts of the world, medication is currently placed front and centre of treatment responses. And how if we want to aim for a truly person-centred approach, we need to have psychological inventions, interventions, sorry, things like talk therapies and social factors also playing a central rather than subordinate role to the medical options. Now, who believes that a diagnosis or disability should never define a person? And they highlight how when we focus on diagnoses and mental health labels, we often miss the social factors influencing an individual's mental well-being. They feel that this leads to an overdiagnosis of human distress and over-reliance on medication to the detriment of psychosocial interventions. So what does this mean for businesses? Well, key among those organisations showcased by the WHO for their quality is a move away from over-medicalising distress and an attempt to see distress in the context of the person and their environment rather than a diseased or faulty brain. So how does your business do mental health support? Do you focus only on symptom reduction or is helping individuals with the sticking points in their lives also a core part of what what you do? There's definitely a heavy emphasis towards more psychological and social interventions that view the individual context of the life more than just their brain. But this seems long overdue as many organisations take us, they tend to take a solely brain based approach to supporting mental health. But how might you adjust your approach in your business based on this new vision, this new optimistic vision from the World Health Organisation? To me, it sounds like an optimistic move from the WHO and one that is definitely needed as we look for better ways to provide mental health support and step towards the future of mental health. Now, it'd be great if you could join me for part two in this series, where I discuss the WHO's views on using those with lived experience to help to help them support and develop the, the mental health services within, their, within organisations. So it'd be great if you could join me for that. And in the meantime, if you want to download my free report, three mental health myths every HR professional needs to know, just click in the link below. It's in the text below. And I'll look forward to speaking to you for part two.